Good morning. Well, we are in the fifth and last week of a series called The Chase. And several months ago, when we started thinking about what, what would be a great series for that point in the year, we did this series because so many of us are in the same boat. We chase things that we think will fill us up, and then when we get there, we're not filled up at all. You probably have that thing in life that you're going for that you feel like, when I get to here, whether it's something material or if it's financial, relational, a feeling of success, when you get to that place, you feel like, when I get there, I'm going to be full. And you find out that, wow, that, that didn't fill me up the way I thought it would. I need to chase something else. And we're looking at our tendency to do that through the lens of an Old Testament king and scholar named Solomon. Solomon lived a thousand years before the time of Christ, and he is an experienced or was an experienced chaser. He chased lots of things, and he wrote them down in a book that we've been looking at called Ecclesiastes. If you have time, and you should take the time to do it, open up your Bible in the Old Testament and read through the 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. They're powerful, and they tell the story of a man who tried everything to find meaning. He chased this for a little while, and then he would chase that, and then he declared at the beginning of his book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1, he said, meaningless meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And he talked about life like it was just this big chasing after the wind. After he declared that life was meaningless, what follows throughout this book that we've been looking at for the past month are are his ideas about how chasing leaves us empty. He shares about his mistakes and his confusion And he gives this total negative outlook on life as if to say, just forget it. Just why even try? It just really doesn't mean anything. It's like a a big chasing after the wind. He's What he's doing over many years, he's writing these thoughts down and he's bearing his soul and saying the things that many of us have probably thought. How many of you right now have a product that has an apple on it? A phone, an iPad, an iMac, or wish you did. If it was how many had and how many wish they had, it'd be 100%. Wouldn't it? I mean, those things make our life easier. I mean, doesn't it? Steve Jobs just died last week. The guy that invented all that stuff. You have to be totally disconnected from society to know that the guy that, that pioneered the thought of very simple products that we need, that we didn't know we needed before he invented them, (laughs) died. I mean, before iPads were around, I didn't know that we had to have one to run the church. I mean, right here, it tells me I got 29 minutes and 48 seconds left to finish what I'm saying. How did we operate before we could download an app that, that gave us a countdown timer? How did I live before that? He was a pioneer. And in 2005, he found out that he had pancreatic cancer and didn't have a whole lot longer to live. In fact, he lived a lot longer than expected. And he was giving the commencement speech at Stanford University, speaking to these 
graduates from college getting ready to go out and make their mark in the world. And you know, Steve Jobs is this pioneer and they're, they're idolizing him and he's getting ready to speak. And I'm sure they're all there just saying, got to memorize this, got to memorize this. And here's an excerpt. It was a very short, just five to seven minute speech. Here's part of what he said. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination that we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be. Because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you, speaking to these grads. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, he said, but it's quite true. Your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice, heart, and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Steve Jobs was a modern-day Solomon. He had it all. He could purchase it all. He had attained it all. People looked to him to make their lives better. I mean, when he would announce a new product, the world almost stopped so they could listen and see what he was going to reveal. He, he was the evangelist of hope for a secular world. As far as I know, he never really said anything about God, never really said anything about eternity. But the words I just read from him are no less true. One day, we're all going to be gone. Solomon realized that in the very first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. When he said, there's really nothing new. Just generations come and generations go. It's, it's kind of like a, an exercise bike that doesn't go anywhere. One generation gets on and they're like, hey, we're smarter, we're better, and we're just going to pedal and we're going to take this world places it never has been able to go before because we're the generation that's going to define who we are as, as, as the human race. We're better. And that generation just gets on and pedals and pedals and pedals and then finally they just fall over dead. And then the next generation gets on and says, hey, we know what we're doing. You didn't, we do. We're going to take over. And then the next generation And Solomon says, generations come and go, and everybody thinks they're taking the world somewhere, and really the bike stays put. It really doesn't move. And while Steve Jobs had some wisdom, wisdom that doesn't come from the heart of God is empty wisdom, and it will not lead you to a life of fulfillment. And Solomon figured that out. All the wisdom that he had, all the things that he did, as hard as he rode the bike, the world didn't really progress anymore because he was on it, although he thought it did at one point. And we think the same thing. And Solomon says, oh, that will just leave you like you're chasing after the wind. It'll make you feel like you're riding a stationary bike. You really don't ever get anywhere. And that's what he says over and over and over again in this book of Ecclesiastes that we've been looking at. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, please take one. Love it if you read along with me or if the print is too small in there like it is for me now. uh, You can look on the screen because all the scriptures are in there as well. If you want a Bible, need one, just take one. It's yours to keep. You can take it home with you. If you'd like to give it back, you can drop it on the table in the back on the way out. 
So at this point in the book of, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been telling us, don't do this because it'll make life a chasing after the wind. Don't do this because it's meaningless. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't find meaning in this. You can't find meaning in that. And he lists all these things that we cannot find meaning in. But then towards the end of his book, he starts to give us a conclusion. Like what all that chasing led him to. And this is a journal over many, many, many years. When he wrote the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, he was much older by the time he got to the end. If you went back and looked at your journals from years and years and years ago, they would probably look different today than they did 20 years ago. And Solomon gets to the end after he's told us, you can't, you can't, you can't find meaning in all these things. He says this, chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, he's speaking about himself here, not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study wearies the body. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything, whether it is good or evil. So after all of Solomon's searching, and searching with everything under the sun to bring meaning, he determined that life is only going to have meaning if you fear and you obey God. That's wisdom. Remember from week one, wisdom is applied knowledge. We can gain knowledge really fast in our world, but how to apply it, that is wisdom. And in this final paragraph, he's saying, I've searched for the right words to communicate this this conclusion to you. And I've, I've made very wise choices in every single word that I chose. These words, God's word, they're like goads. Oh, yeah, goads. Yeah, I know what a goad is. What's a goad? A goad was just a pointed stick. It could have had a nail in the end of it that, that a farmer or a uh, someone working with animals used to get them going in the direction they want them to go. A shepherd wanted his sheep to go down a certain path. He would hit them with the goad until they did. Farmer wanted the ox to go in a certain way. He would hit it with the goad until it did. And he's saying these words, from, they're from Solomon, but ultimately they're from God. They are like goads. God's word is like that. It guides our life. And The sooner we align our lives with God's will and God's words, the more fulfillment we're going to have in life. Now, that's not always a painless process. You know, you got to get hit with the goad every now and then, and it kind of hurts. It's like, okay, I got to get my life on track. I got to go in the direction that God would have me go in. I got to keep my life true to his commandments. See, God's word, even though it might be painless, will guide me 
to give up things that will harm me, to stay away from things that I will regret. And my life will be better because of it. He says, once, once these words get into your heart, they're like a nail that's driven deep into the wood. It won't come out. But he gives us a warning. He says, don't add to these words. Just be careful because when people add to the words, and they do because people will write on any topic you could possibly imagine, and they'll write too much about it. And he's saying, that makes you weary. So be very, very careful. That's why at LifePoint, we're very careful to help people understand the church that we're trying to be like, you can read about it in the book of Acts. And if you go to our Discover class, which is the class that kind of lays out who we are as a church, you'll find out, hey, it is as simple as they say. And oftentimes in those entry-level classes where people come to learn more about our church, at the end they'll say, wow, that really was just like I thought it might be. It's like they came to this class thinking, aha, you do believe something really weird There's something strange. Here's the other book of stuff you got to believe and follow. And many times people will stick behind and say, you know what? I'm impressed. You start in the book of Acts and that's exactly what you seek to do. It's really not that complicated. People are separated from God. They're over here. God's over here. And we want to get them connected. I mean, that's what you'll learn in 45 minutes. How we believe God's calling us to do that. And there's no extra stuff. There's no things behind the scene because Solomon said, when you start adding to God's word, you make people weary. We give Bibles out every week because that's our book. That's our guide. That's where we get the things that we believe you need to know to make your life better. So Solomon comes to this conclusion and says in verse 13, Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's it. Fear and obey. And Solomon's saying, after all my searching, I can help you guys avoid a lot of pitfalls in life. I can help you avoid a lot of empty living if you just do those two things. Fear God, obey God. Now, when you think of the word fear, you're probably thinking of things you're afraid of, right? The dark, the boogeyman, heights. I'm afraid of large dogs. Because when I was a little boy, I was bitten by a large dog. So that makes me have this fear when you say, oh, he wouldn't hurt anybody. I'm like, yeah, right. That's what they told me about Tuffy, and Tuffy bit me. So I've got a fear of dogs. Like, I see a big dog, I prefer to go the other way. If you invite me to your house, I'll be around your dog, but there will be this fear, this uneasiness that's inside of me because I fear them. When I'm out for a run or a bike ride, I hear a bark. I'm like, well, you know, I pick up the speed because it could be a large dog. You probably have a fear, too, that when you think about it, you want to get away from it. You're afraid of the dark. You want to turn on the light. You're afraid of heights. You stay on the ground. And so then when you hear Solomon say, fear God, you think, all right, the things I'm afraid of, I don't want to be around. I don't want to have any part of. So now I've got to fear this God. Does that mean I'm afraid, but I get near him? Well, the word used 
for fear. It's a Hebrew word that's pronounced yare. And it can mean literally to be afraid, but in this context, it means more to revere, to respect, to honor. So what does it really mean to to fear God? Oswald Chambers says it like this. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you do fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So fearing and obeying God, according to Solomon, will lead to a life filled with meaning. So if I fear God and obey God, I'm going to have this full life that I wouldn't have otherwise. And not the kind of fear that's like in the corner, you know, in the fetal position, scared to death of God. It's this awe and this reverence and this respect. And he's saying that, in fact, in another place, in the book of Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, that kind of fear, he says, is the beginning of knowledge. And we can't know or nor can we gain true wisdom in life without first fearing God. Many people grow up with this unhealthy fear of God. There's an unhealthy fear and there's a healthy fear. When I was a little boy, I was around my grandmother a lot and she put this unhealthy fear of God in me. She would say things like, God is going to get you. Now, I probably deserved to hear that because of whatever I was doing. And she, with her best intentions, she was just trying to get a very unruly, rebellious little boy that was 10 or 12 years old to do what she said. So she would say things like that. She would say, God just put a black mark against you in his book. I'm like, okay. And so I, I never really got past that. And so when I became a little older and I thought about God, I was scared. So guess what? I didn't want anything to do with him. If you're going to get me, if you're putting black marks when I'm trying all the best I can, I mean, I, really, God, I'd rather not. Just like I'd rather not be around large dogs. I'd rather not be around God. And it was many years before I took the, my wonderfully intentioned grandmother's actions and, and turned them around to where, okay, I get what the fear of God really is. See, it's unhealthy to fear God in a way that makes you afraid of him where you want to be, don't want to be around him. The healthy fear of God is the fear that causes awe and respect and honor in your heart towards God. That's what Solomon is saying. When you have that, you have the beginnings of this knowledge and wisdom that will change your life and lead you to a fullness that you would never have otherwise. Because when I have this wisdom that starts with fear, my awe and respect of God, it, it puts God above everything in every area of my life. No matter what it is, he is above it because of my fear of God. So fear God. Now we understand what that means. It doesn't mean cower off in the corner scared to death. It means awe and respect. So fear God is the first thing Solomon says. Want a full life? Fear God. The second thing is keep his commandments. Now, a legitimate question is, which ones? The 10? I mean, there's 10 that made kind of like the top 10 list. But you know, after those 10, there's like 600 more. I mean, you just hear about the top 10. That, hey, if I can get those, then probably the other 600, I will get done without any problems. People 
lived their lives thousands of years ago trying their best to obey all 613 commands that you can find in the Old Testament. They were so intent on on obeying those 600 and some commands that they would have commands outside of those commands just to make sure they didn't get near those commands and near breaking them. They called it building a hedge around the law. The law says don't do this, but hey, I'm not even going to do this because if I don't do this, I'll never get to there. And so could you imagine, here's 600 and some laws, and then they're going to build one around every one of them. There's at least 1,200 and some laws, and then they probably built ones around that. Can you imagine why people are like, obey his commands? What one are you talking about? I don't even know which are gods and which are not gods anymore because we're so intent on following every single one of these. And the people that were trying to find fulfillment by obeying every command, they didn't have a full life either. Just like us trying to find fulfillment in chasing all the things that Solomon chased in in the world. We don't find fulfillment. They weren't finding fulfillment. No wonder we needed somebody to come along and set it straight. That somebody was Jesus Christ. And Jesus came along and his followers who would have been Jewish and known all of those laws, plus the hedges that were built around them, wanted to know one day, and their motives were not pure, but they wanted to know which one's the most important because they're trying to trap him. I mean, but it's also a legitimate request. Jesus, could you boil them down? There's a bunch of them. I mean, I'm a bottom line kind of guy too. Back when I was in school, first day of class, without fail, I had a question for the professor. It was either raise my hand and ask in front of the class or go up afterwards. And my question was, it was a bottom line kind of question, is the final in this class comprehensive? Because that changes my whole approach to the way I'm going to proceed over the next 16 weeks. If he said, yes, it is, then that meant, okay, I've got to really internalize what you're teaching. I've got to look at it every day and get it deep into my mind. And so when you ask me a question 16 weeks from now that was from day one, I'll remember it because I've internalized this. And if he said no, then it was like, great, short-term memory, here I come. I can memorize anything for like four days and then take a test, give you back what you want, and forget about it and move on to the next section of the course. Two legitimate ways to teach, two very different approaches by me. I just wanted the bottom line. It saved a lot of time. So they're asking Jesus, give us the bottom line. And Jesus says something to them. In effect, what what he says literally is, Everything I just said to you, everything, is, is, it encompasses the entire law. Now, when he, Jesus said law to them, he meant the Old Testament law, which is this much of the Bible. It's the New Testament, Old Testament, right here. So Jesus says something that says all of these 600 and some commands and the ones you have outside of that hinges on what I just said. So he sums it all up. He bottom lines it. You want to know what it means to follow my commands. Here they are. And he says it in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law. All of this and the prophets, all the things they say beyond the law, it all hinges on those two things, loving God and loving people. 
He bottom-lined it for him. So now, when you hear Solomon say, you need to obey the commands, because they all hang on the things that Jesus said, then you know, okay, is it, is it this one? Is it that one? See, there's this principle in Scripture that if you love God, you will obey God. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Love and obedience means that you can be connected with God. Now, many, many years ago, even before my time, the Beatles said all you need is love, right? That's all you need. Just put a little love in it. It'll be great. But that's not what the Bible says. That with love comes this obedience to the lover, to the one being loved. And when that happens, there is a connectedness that would not take place otherwise. There is a, a fulfillment that would not take place without the obedience. Most people would say, I love God. Do you obey God? Well, what part are you talking about? You know, that's what they want to know. But here's what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So obeying God is not a burden. In fact, obeying God makes my life better. So at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that meaning is found in the most unlikely place, obedience. You want to have meaning in life, you need to obey. And that doesn't compute sometimes for us, especially our culture, because ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I mean, it's, it's getting more and more prevalent when I talk to people who I'm getting ready to do their ceremony when they're getting married. More than half don't want to say the words obey. And when I'm going through the ceremony, I say, do you want something traditional? Do you want something uh, a little more non-traditional? And then there's always a part I say that I don't tell them what I'm going to say. I just get to say it. And most of the time now, what I'm hearing is, we really don't want to say obey. Like, All right. How about submit? No, 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 no. <laughs> Do not want to say submit. And that makes me think, you know, I, I pulled one guy aside and I said, look, because his wife, or his wife-to-be, she really did not want to say obey or submit. And I was like, dude, they're still going to be obeying and submitting going on in this relationship, whether you say it or not. And I got a feeling which way it's going to fall. <laughs> so what you need to do is you two need to talk about this. And you need to understand that what the Bible says about marriage is this mutual submission. So people don't like to hear that word obey because it means I've got to give up what I want to do and following everything I feel, and do what you would prefer. And most people go, I am not in for that. Obedience is the key to starting to have a full life. This principle is throughout Scripture. When I had to do what my parents said to do, even when I did it, I didn't like it. But then I became a parent. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. You need to do what I say. Why? Because I'm smarter. Because I've made more mistakes than you have. Because I've lived longer. And this principle of, of obedience just makes life better. In the New Testament, there's this little section in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. It's talking about children and parents. 
But it, read it like us and God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. When, when, I, have to, when I have to tell my girls, look, you've you got to do this. You've got to do it. You don't understand. My 15-year-old, for some reason, when we go out on our bike, she thinks it's cool to just be zipping down a hill and just kind of enjoy the wind, no hands, just balancing down. And I'm like, Molly, do you under, You see this scar right here on my knee? It came from something doing, doing something stupid like that. You see this one on my chin? I did something stupid. I got this scar and this one on my head. I fell and don't do that. that that's not smart. And really what I'm thinking about is that $5,000 smile, you know, she's got that cost me. And, and what if she hits the pavement mouth first, you know, and like, oh my gosh, it's all down the drain. <laughs> what I'm trying to say to her is, look, I know that what you're doing could cause you pain. So you need to stop. And Solomon is trying to say, I know that what you're chasing is going to lead you to emptiness. You're not going to catch it. And if you do, it's not going to be enough. What you're chasing, Solomon says, is going to lead to a life of regret and a life that never gets you to that spot where you feel like, okay, now I'm full. And Solomon is saying, you won't be full. Just do this. Just fear God and obey his commandments. Because fearing God and obeying God will lead to a life filled with meaning. So meaning comes when I learn how to love God and also, Jesus says, learn how to treat others. Love your neighbors yourself. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that's breathing. That's your neighbor. No matter where they're from, what their background is, they have a pulse, they're your neighbor. And Jesus says, you need to love them. So if you apply the commands of Jesus, which Solomon said, obey the commands of God, then Jesus said, well, here are the here are the two commands that sum up everything else. So if I can just work on those two, loving God and loving people, and then Solomon even finishes up saying, look, all the stuff that you're worried about, God's going to handle all the judgment part, and he'll uncover everything that's good and bad. You just be about loving God and loving people, and you're going to have a full life. That's how it works. So if you want to step into a life of meaning and stop chasing things that won't fill you up, then start loving God and start loving people. Steve Jobs was right. Someday, not too long from now, we'll all be cleared away. And what he was trying to say is, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time doing things that really don't make a difference. That's what he was trying to say. Solomon said it, using this understanding of God and who he is. And Solomon is saying, the quicker you get with respecting and obeying God, the quicker you're going to have this full, meaningful life. So he's saying, you can either spend your life chasing after things, thinking, if I can just get a hold of this, if I can just get a hold of that, if I can just get a hold of this. And there's a lot of other things Solomon talked about besides what we mentioned in this series. And he's saying... If you just spend your life trying to chase those things, when you get there, you're going to be so disappointed. Because time keeps marching on while you keep chasing, thinking you're going to grab a hold of something that all of a sudden life's going to make sense. And Solomon says, look, just fear God, revere Him, 
and keep his commandments. And you will never look in the mirror and say, life is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. You won't be there if you listen to the wise words of Solomon. Meaningless. Can there even be life without you? Back and forth I pace. Can't seem to give up the chase. When comes the end to this rat race? What can be gained? Why all this ceaseless searching for fame? Chasing the knowledge of scholars and the wisdom of sages. We don't find joy in the understanding, but sorrow in the truth. Because in the end, the wise one dies, the same as the fool. And both will be forgotten. We come from the dust, and to the dust we will return. But if all this is true, then the day of death must be greater than the day of birth. While the sun and the moon, they chase their tail, these never-ending cycles numb us from the ability to feel. We are hooked on anesthesia. We are numb. We are numb. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under this sun. Day and night, we toil with strife. But what we find when at the end of this life is that it ends up in the hands of an ungrateful child. We're half-hearted people, fooling with drink. But when infinite joy is offered, we don't even think. We are far too easily pleased, but never really satisfied. Oh, but wait, point our eyes up to the sky. When we find rest with him who was on high, life, as we know it, becomes precious. In conclusion, there is only God. You restore my soul. You make life bearable. You give me reason to move on. You give me rest. Meaningless, there is no life without you.